You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious and Heavenly Father, for this day, we give you thanks for our church, um, for your work in our lives, uh, for your word, for all that we have from you, Lord. Um, uh, from that grace and still in us, hey, uh, a heart of gratitude. Um, so that we may do what you've given us to do. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, well, this is just a, a one-off class, um, meaning not the start of a series um, or anything like that. So I had a couple of ideas as I was thinking about this on Monday, maybe later on this spring. Uh, something out of this will, will develop. Um, some of the background in this is a little book by J.B. Phillips called Your God is Too Small. I don't know if Everybody's familiar with that book. Um, great little book. I picked that up again this week. I may, I may come out again. Uh, uh, just I'm saying that to commend it. It's written, I couldn't believe it. I looked in there. It was written in 1961, 60 years ago, which is hard to believe. Um, it's still got a timelessness to it. Very simple, short chapters, very accessible. Um, Lent's coming if you're looking for something for Lent or just to pick something up or pass it around. Um, J.B. Phillips, Your God is Too Small, is, uh, is, uh, is one that I commend. And this first part is really sort of a, I was going to say Philippian, well, I guess that would be J.B. Phillips' kind of mode of thinking. Uh, uh, in some ways, this is just a, in a lot of room, I hope, for some interaction today, uh, almost a reflection on Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling as, as it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good purpose. And then backing up from that, we'll, we'll pick up the rest of chapter 2, which you have in front of you, including um, the, uh, the great, what's, what's, what's known as the Christ hymn um, of Philippians 2, 6 through 11, uh, really broken in two, two, two triads, um, two couplets um, of three verses each. Uh, you would call that in the uh, typically pre-Pauline, which is a funny word just in the, in the literature, the books about this sort of thing. It just means that Paul probably didn't write it. It was around. Um, and Paul wrote early, we remember. Paul wrote before the Gospels. So Jesus lived somewhere probably you know, about zero to 30 32, 33, 4 B.C., 3 A.D., we don't really know, but something like that. Um, was in active ministry right about 30 to 33 A.D., um, died, crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and then uh, a brief period of time where uh, uh, the movement, the movement of the way, the followers of the way were beginning to, to gather before they started to write graphe, before they started to, to write letters. And Paul would be among the first to do that, starting easily somewhere, we think, in the mid-50s, the early 50s. Um, some would say even in the late 40s, so 20 years after Jesus died. Um, uh, but there was motion. The church was being born. Pentecost had happened. Uh, and so people were starting to gather in their homes, the Holy Spirit descending on people with the power uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit uh, and and the early confessions, um, Jesus is Lord, started to become uh, uh, we'd almost call it our liturgy. I'm kind of winging this, but almost calling it our liturgy. And out of that comes uh, instances like 
what Paul then picked up and inserted into his letter to the church in Philippi, what we know as the Christ hymn, which is really just, you know, what a privilege to go back to it again this week. Just an incredible economy of words in six what we would call verses. Um, uh, a sense of Christ's pre-existence, that he existed before, before the worlds were created, but certainly before he then was incarnated and was made flesh and dwelt among us, before he then was crucified and died, before he was resurrected by God and then ascended and elevated to heaven where he pre-existed before. Heaven being just something other away from earth. Um, and all that's in there. And so we'll look at that too. Um, but as a way to get into it, um, the J.B. Phillips part, just our disposition of hearing, um, how we approach just any piece, but, but especially today, um, thinking about Philippians 2, 13 and 14, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, um, which is sometimes, you know, just kind of taken there. It's like, okay, that's our, that's our verse for sanctification. Um, you know, God did his part, our justification, our salvation, and now our part is our sanctification. Let's work this out. Um, uh, and, and certainly the habits, I mean, what we're doing now, studying Scripture, reading Scripture, praying, you know, coming together, one another, being unified together, all that's going to be in there. Those habits, those practices of a Christian, of a, of a body, of the fellowship, absolutely. But derivatively, as it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And we're going to see that pattern in Paul here several times today. One thing derives another, John 15, 5. Um, uh, now, committed, what's John 15, 5? Um, I can do nothing. Uh, uh, oh, the, the vine and the branch. Um, <laughs> having a, a moment here. Uh, apart from you, we can do nothing. Um, that is, a vine dwells in the branch. Um, uh, so also, the there we go. Thanks be to God. So thank you, Wilson, <laughs> bailing me out. Are you the technology out? Awesome, sir. Um, uh, it's got its benefits, absolutely. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. But in me, you can do all things through Christ Jesus. You can do what I've given you to do. And that's going to be the humility that he also speaks of. So here, the J.V. Phillips part. As background to all of this, and really as, you know, thought about this even today, kind of made this my prayer getting ready. This is a nice prayer before you read the Bible. Lord, um, show me my real sin by revealing to me your real law um, given by a real God who makes a real atonement for those real sins by speaking a real gospel for my real salvation. And J.B. Phillips, your God is too small the God that we, we almost have to, in our flesh nature, create to make him a God of our own understanding, to make him a God who's approachable, to make him a God on my terms. And so now it's not a real God who has made atonement for real sins by giving me a real salvation, but a false God who probably has made a false atonement for my presumed sins, um, my peccadillos or whatever else. Uh, and so we want to sort of come into that with that recognition, that humility of against you and you only have I sinned 
against your law and your law only, and not the law that I hold out over you, over myself, over my children, over my wife, um, but the real law of God given as he actually is, which gives real guilt, but then real atonement is made so that we could have a real salvation. And that's all what's in here, right here in Philippians 2. Um, that as a result of our sinfulness, the word comes living and active, and we can always ask this beautiful phrase, what drives us to Christ? Um, uh, for if we're not driven to Christ for his real salvation from our real sins and a real death and the real flesh of this, uh, this wretched man that I am, then why are we here? You know, let's have bagels and, uh, and chit-chat about fishing. I'd rather do that. Um, but it's real, so I'd rather do this because there is no greater privilege than to be able to do that. So recognizing this, being turned there again, you know, I can't get off that for the last many, many years now. Repentance is not even my work, but it's God work, God's work in me. Being turned uh, by God, then let's God be God and not the God that I make him into but the real God, as he actually is, is now doing what he's going to do to me. And that is so freeing. It's so humbling and freeing at the same time. And we see that pattern that we will not know that God, the real God, unless he makes himself known to us. Uh, uh, so as he approaches us with that pattern of revelation, then we can approach a gargantuan text like Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Um, so that's kind of the preface, just a way to kind of come into it. A real God, not a God that we have that we make to make him more understandable and manageable somehow. Is that, any, any comments there? That's all just the preface, and then we can now engage really just a, a beautiful text. So thoughts? How often do we fire ourselves up by trying to make God more understandable but then seems like it conflicts with the God of the Bible, and thus we get into this these theodicies that turn us into, you know, heresy in sure. a way, you know, because we want to make him more understandable, but by shrinking him, we are then confronted with Scripture that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. A small God can't do the things that, that just, you know, you're, that point, I, I feel like our efforts are probably the origin of a lot of our problems. Sure, sure. Um... I know you made it into the form of a question. It was very kind of you. Uh, but obviously answering the question with the question. Uh, I'll speak for myself. How often do we do that? I do it all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's where I have to be turned all the time. Really good prompt here. Because work out your own salvation. Now, in the eternal now, today, not even more to, right now, in the eternal now of God, we're salvation, being salvationed in this present moment. I'm constantly being turned in this spiritual spina bifida of, of bent in on ourselves, in curvatus in se, as Augustine brought that phrase to his first, uh, where we get navel-gazing from, that I can't not be bent over and think, oh, what a beautiful belly button. I mean, this has got to be the best belly button ever. I mean, uh, we think that God is the, 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 the end all, um, but I have to be turned up, and out to him uh, constantly until either he comes back once finally and fully, and that's here in the text, or um, mercifully, I'm brought to him 
uh, as my flesh is burnt away, uh, but liberated into the eternal life with him. So let's read. Let's go with uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 13. Um, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and this is all that disposition. um, I'll even say this now. We'll go back through it. This, if there's any disposition, it's not any doubt. It's the rhetorical device. So if, um, if there's any helpfulness, any usefulness, any love, any relationship, any, you know, it's just, of course it's there, and he's just stirring it up to make what's there kind of conscious and known. So that's what Paul's doing here. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and here begins the the hymn, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, there's that word, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So before I just prattle, Let's take a moment. I mean, thoughts, apprehensions, questions. Tommy. Yeah. I have a question. Um, what? No, I was going to say I feel like I know what you're going to ask. <laughs> oh, really? Would you like no, to ask my you question? go first. <laughs> <laughs> We're that insane. Well, I know it, so. Uh, <laughs> marriage, marriage, marriage. So this is kind of a two-part question. One, so grammatically, just to make sure I'm reading verse 13 correctly, so this, when it says it's God who works in you, just to break out the uh, eliminating both, but say so it's God who works in you to will for His good pleasure, and it is God who works in you to work for His good pleasure. Is that how you? Is that grammatically how you read it? Um, will and work are. Uh, what would you say, a dependent series, grammatically, they go together. The will, more with the seed of desire, and then the working out uh, is from that seed of desire. There's, a, there's, a, there's an intention there, I think. I don't know if we're going to get that deep into it when we go here. So now to pull this out, I do think this is important. This is the limitations of, of English in some ways. There's four instances of the word work. Work out your own, God works in. So you can see work out, work in as God works, three instances, as God works for his good pleasure. The first instance of work, work out your own salvation, is a different word than the work that God does in us. Um, uh, The first is carry on and continue with fear and trembling. The work, the energo, 
uh, that empowering power that God is working in you to will and empower to his good pleasure. Simply because we let God be God and recognize that he knows me better than myself for his good pleasure. So that's the way 12, 13 are going to be sort of joined up is really sort of those two different verses. Carry on and continue God's salvationing of you with fear and trembling. For God is providing the empowering power and energy, giving you the disposition uh, to will and to work for his pleasure. That's, a, that's the Gilcracky translation. Um, uh, but you, you seized on it. That's the sort of, that's what started my whole reflection here for a one-off class was, was the way those two verses are often understood and understandably understood. And again, making our God too small because we would think, well, God surely would do this because this is how I would do it. Um, hear that? Well, God surely would do this because this is how I would do it. Um, he saves us and we become something. And now he says, work it out. You can do it. Come on, you can do this. You can do this. Okay, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. Maybe some of that. That's not completely wrong, but that's also not completely right. God's not up there just sort of coaching, uh, hoping, wishing, sort of leaving me. Um, that second, I'll just go ahead and do some punchline work here. That second part, the way that God works, um, in the same way that the, the law of gravity works, where the, one commentary I read it, so the, the deed guarantees the outcome. That if I take this paper and I drop it, it falls. The deed, the dropping, guarantees the outcome, a fall. A law is inviolate there, and it's going to happen. As God works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure, as Paul says earlier in Philippians 1.6, I may need you here, Wilson. I'm just pulling out numbers. Um, uh, for God who began the good work in you will bring it forth to completion. That certainty of all that's there, the work of God, will be complete because it's his work. The working out your own salvation, not necessarily. The deed doesn't guarantee the outcome. There's an, uh, definitely a working out, that fugal, Fugitive, that, 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 that going out part where we continue and carry on in the way that we normally understand that word, but not quite the same weight as in like the work that the law of gravity has on us, the work that aging has on us, the work that, um, what, there's ninth grade physical science for me, you know, potential and kinetic energy that a stone at the top is going to roll and that's going to happen that work is going to going to going to, going to occur um, so let's let's go back let's pull it apart that's good that's kind of where we're heading um, with that kind of encouragement that kind of certainty that not wish and hope but um, but rest from that certain freedom so if there is any encouragement um, as I mentioned earlier this isn't a, a question of doubt in view of the, the, the kind of work that God does, that he'll bring it forth to his completion. Letting the word bring out and call the thing what it is, that which is in us, encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the spirit, um, that union with God, that union with Christ given to us through the Holy Spirit, any affection and sympathy, um, this place of... Uh, 
like any affection, any 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 longing or desire from the heart, which leads to an awareness, a sympathy uh, of of that longing, then complete my joy. And it's interesting. One thing I noted: there's three of his words all have sort of in mind, uh, almost like liquid filling a cup. And that's the same way the, 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 the Linton lunch verse that's so great, um, Romans 15, 13, fill up, um, uh, fill up my joy. Um, uh, complete my joy is to fill up the cup and let it overflow with this abundance. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. And here, this isn't in the same way that, that we, we're often having to sort of work beyond. It's not, that's not an intellectual apprehension. By be of the same agreement of doctrine. That's important. That's not what he's saying here. Being of the same mind, the same heart, the same spirit, the same regard, the same apprehension. Be, uh, be, be, I'm collapsing it in Greek, be together, be in sync. Um, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of that same regard, that same apprehension. In step, I mean, laughing, be Ginger and Tommy in the way that they complete each other's sentences. So, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and so from that, then he comes in, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others better than yourselves. And here we're back, you know, it's my own sort of edge. You know, law promise. Um, again, the real law of God, which drives us to Christ, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Oh, you know, I've fallen so short in the way that I, I do everything out of selfish ambition and conceit. And so at the same time, I'm driven to my knees and driven to Christ. And at the same time, that's my flesh, the new creature. For behold, the old is gone, the new has come. Christians here and this word which forms and frees and which we have no mind about in the same way that the Sermon on the Mount tells us um, when you pray, go into your closet, go into your room, and pray to your Father who sees in secret. The flesh can't be aware that that's happening. That's the creature, the new creature going in, and the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And so speaking to the flesh, wretch that I am, I do everything from selfish ambition, conceit. Thanks be to God, when I look at Leslie or, or anybody else, Alec, um, doing what they're doing, and they're not aware of it, that I can glorify our Father who art in heaven as I give thanks for their good work. Um, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, um, this, uh, this sense of my moral littiness, littleness, my no haughtiness, not, 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 not a false humility which says, oh, I know I'm not very good at that. No. Some of you are very talented. You're all talented in a lot of things. You call a thing what it is. But my capacity to, to use Christ's example as a moral paradigm, that is not what's being played here. Um, but in humility, count, regard, deem others as more significant, the second of the filling books, as fuller is what it wants to say. More significant, that there's more in their cup than yours. Um, just keeping you in that position of humility because I can see another's good works and when I, when I try to look at myself, all I see is maggot fodder, as Luther would call it. As more significant than yourselves, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
And now going into the, uh, to the wonderful indicative, which leads to the hymn, have this mind, going back to verse 3, um, uh, verse 2, um, being of this one mind, this, this in sync apprehension. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, that gift language. Here, have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And now, this glimpse into, uh, as somebody once said, the, uh, the crucified one. A glimpse into Christ as he came from the position of the one who was crucified. So this is the inside-out view that we get to hear from 6 to 11. Who, though in the form of God, uh, did not count, same word, deem, equality with God, a thing to be grasped. And here J.R.R. Tolkien gave us a real gift with the character of Gollum. That word grasped is uh, uh, seized as in a robbery. Or this is, you know, Gollum's my precious, my precious, my precious. This thing which now I take and, uh, and, and, and possess as my own. The perspective of the crucified one, he always was giving himself away. He was always, nobody takes my life. I give it. I do not consider equality with God as something to be seized. My godness is to be given away, as it were. We've got to ask what, what that means exactly. But he emptied himself. You could say, but himself he emptied. Just to really hit that hard. But himself he emptied. God emptied himself, taking the form poured out. You know, so there's that word again, kenosis, emptied, poured out into the, uh, the, uh, the outward appearance of a man. So somehow, what, what important word, I'm not going to spend too much time here, because this, this really is the subject of books. What emptied? When, when, when God became man, not his divinity, but his absoluteness, absoluteness now becomes finite. His infinitude now becomes finite. His abstract now becomes concrete. His uh, uh, divinity, where he could know all things and, uh, and be all places at the same time, was now limited, where he became a man subject to time and age. And, and growth and hunger and loss uh, at the same time remaining God in all the ways that that mystery holds. So that's what he's talking about in this, this idea of, um, of emptying himself. Being born in the likeness of men. Um, becoming uh, human. And then being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then the first of the two therefores. Therefore, God is highly exalted, lifted up um, him and bestowed, again, gift language, and gifted him that name which is above every name. Probably Yahweh is what we're talking about there. Um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the word for God which is so holy that you have to almost speak of, again, derivatively from Exodus 3, um, uh, I am who I am which is also I was who I was and I will be who I will be. And we have to speak of it like he is who he is because we can't actually say I am who I am because that's God's words about himself, which, of course, then when Jesus comes and he says, I am, before Moses was, I am, stone him, kill him. So all that, and Jesus was gifted with the name that is above every name, Yahweh. So at the name of Jesus, 
Isn't this amazing? This is what I taught myself this week, what the Lord gave me. I forgot this. Yahweh, almost that which is too holy to be named, now poured out into flesh at the name of Jesus. And those two names are now given in concert. The same otherness and yet nearness that Yahweh had, now the nearness that Jesus has. So that now every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and on the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Yahweh, Lord. Which in our Bibles, you look in the all caps, probably know this from small groups. Like, why does my Bible say Lord in small caps? That always refers to, to Yahweh. And now Yahweh and Jesus, the name which is above every name, has now been brought in heaven and on earth and under the earth to the same level, to the glory of God the Father. And then, last thought, and we'll have some time for a talk or two. So then the second therefore, the first therefore is uh, uh, about Christ's humiliation being the basis for his exaltation. And now this therefore uh, being about, um, about us. Uh, therefore, my beloved. Um, I love that phrase. It's just it's a phrase that's kind of stuck with me for the last couple of, days, couple of weeks. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, in the salvation moment of now, now, I was saved 2,000 years ago. I am being saved right now, and I will be saved when Christ comes back or I die and I, I escape this, uh, this fleshly life. Um, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul speaking to his, his beloved church. Work out... Carry on and continue God's salvationing of you. Um, this mind which apprehends, regards, calls a thing what it is. My real sins being dealt with by a real God through a real atonement with a real gospel that it is real salvation. Work out that salvation with fear and trembling. That sensitivity of, a, of knowing that a transcendent God has made himself very, very, very known to me and giving me the grace of salvation. Fear, trembling, amazing love. Can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? For it is, hear that indicative? It is God who works in you like the law of gravity, which the deed guarantees the outcome, both to will the desire and to work the power, empowering power. Why? This is the great sort of almost uh, understatement. Why would God do that? For his good pleasure. <laughs> because he's God. And we must let God be God um, and do what he wants to do simply because that's what he wants to do. His good pleasure is to bestow grace upon us, uh, worms and fodder that we are. So, so that's kind of reflection, I would say, on... Um, Philippians, first part of Philippians 2, especially 2, 13, 12 and 13. So, so questions, comments, thoughts, disagreements? Yes, Libby, thanks, Francis. So. I love the fact that as I was taking notes, confirmed that Christ is the the time I had to look at this confidence. I love that confidence. 
on the fact that God makes good on his promises for completion. Mm. It's not up to us. Amen. Yeah. It's a freeing, comforting word, isn't it? So mm-hmm. then I can wake up. <laughs> he has himself to us. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because I constantly want to be doing something. Yeah. Myself. Amen. As Paul interrupts himself elsewhere in Galatians, now that you know God, or rather, are known by God. So, you know, why don't you do this? So, you know. Um, Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, full disclosure, not to be surprised to probably anyone in this room. Um, yeah, that's the edge I'm in some ways constantly working on. Someone who spends time thinking about grace and faith, that we're justified by grace through faith in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Absolutely. Um, even Protestants will have a, uh, a sense, John Wesley and some others, uh, of God has done that for you, now do something for God. You're still going to heaven, most would say, but go ahead and like, you know, do something. Um, choose the good, refuse the evil. That's a Bible verse. And so, I mean, there's, there's good, good, good standing for that. Or the Jerusalem Bible, I'm not going to die on this grenade, but I'm pretty sure this is true. That's the Bible that the, that the, the, Roman, that the Catholic Church uses, Romans use. Um, we'll translate that, um, not work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but work for your salvation, for fear and trembling. So, and I'm not, you know, well, I, I am naming that. You know, I'd, I'd certainly have that conversation with a lot of respect, but that's a whole basis from which. And so there is some, you know, I don't want to get too far, but there's, there's translation decisions to be made. You would connect that to repentance and what does that mean and does that do penance or Libby, what you just said. God works out your salvation. He's the one who has reconciled himself to you. Seminal, important distinction. That's why we hit that so hard here that it is God who does the work, and it is like the law of gravity. What he does will be brought to its completion. So, yeah, it's work for yielding. yielding, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tommy? Um, <coughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting to me with having been around here a while, you know, I feel like in... I appreciate just the tension and the mystery of, of this that is beyond, you know, our mind to understand because sometimes I feel like, you know, if, if it were the Gilcracky or the Paul Zoll or the insert, you know, teacher here who's been a great version of Philippians 2, there would be no imperatives. It would only be indicative and it would just say, uh, you know, therefore my beloved, uh, you know, not only my presence, much more my absence. Just know that God is working in you to will and to work. Like we would just, you know, redline, work out your salvation with fear and trembling to avoid the tension or confusion that that could cause. But that's not what the Bible says. Correct. You know? Yep. Yep. So it's interesting. I mean, I just, I don't know that I have a question so much. Maybe you could speak to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I like it, but I'm Gilcracky likes no imperative. Yeah, go ahead. This my thought at the beginning was we often get to that that part and we go, okay, so which part's my responsibility? Let me see if I can define that down to something I can accomplish without relinquishing or the fact that in the thing in the John passage you quoted, Jesus says there is real responsibility for your choices and actions, but there is also real act on God's part to do what you're saying here to will and work out in you for his good pleasure. It's both and we always try to do and or or. Am I doing this or is God doing this rather than resting on the fact it's both and it doesn't always make sense because I think going back we define God too small. You know Frank used to say there are two parallel lines Yeah. and you know we don't see how they... Yeah, on the other side of the eschaton, the end of time they'll be resolved. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility, that right. sort of stuff. So, um, But not waking off the hook, Tommy, thank you. Um, uh, the imperatives often are, I would say, two parts, and then we can, we can hang up. Uh, gift language, have this mind among you. Gift, you know. Here, Caroline, Margaret, have this. You know, that's, that's an imperative. But it's also gift. So there's there. That's why I did that, you know, six perfections of gift with John Barclay. He's in my mind there. Um, and then law promise. Augustine, Luther, Calvin, you know, others uh, ask, to whom am I speaking with that imperative? What is it? Sorry. I really I don't know why I do that. Um, uh, what drives me to Christ um, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Uh, that part of me which says, but I do most things, all things. I know at one level, everything I do has that self-serving preservation part. And so that is not the gospel. That does drive us to our knees, to the finished work of Christ on the cross. We're now, as the left hand is hidden from the right hand, as the old creature is hidden from the new, that formative word of the gospel the gospel is the same word at creation. Uh, light, freedom, release, Lazarus, come forth. Have this mind among you. Gift. So I'm drawing that distinction a little bit. Um, let me pray. Lord, um, take, this wor- take these words, um, take my words, which are so feebly offered, and by your gospel, if you would empower them with your power to, uh, to work in and through us, um, Lord, let it be. Um, but correct me where I'm wrong. And then take these words, um, these powerful, mighty words from your word, Scripture, um, and let it do its work on us um, to will and to work according to your good pleasure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.